Hello and welcome back to the Master Engineer Podcast. As always, I am your host, Sotek Andre, and you're listening to episode 26, in which we mark another milestone in the timeline of this podcast. So, a couple of weeks ago, I had Lyle McDonald on, and today I have another personal hero of mine, so to speak, in Dr. Mike Israel. So, Mike has been a very influential person in my own development as a lifter first and now as a coach second so we started interacting online I learned a ton from him and I had the chance and opportunity and privilege to do an internship under him a year ago or so in which I took my first batch of online clients and that has been an amazing opportunity to learn from one of the best minds in the fitness industry I will not go into details on who Mike is because you're probably here because you want to hear from him and you're very aware of who he is. If not, you can listen to the podcast and then check out his Instagram, his Facebook and check out RP, the company he co-founded. So with Mike, I had a ton of uh, podcast topics to pick from and hopefully I will manage to get him back on and discuss some other topics as well in the future. But for this one, I opted to discuss about performance-enhancing drugs or as more commonly viewed steroids because obviously that's something that bodybuilding is deeply associated with. And um, obviously I myself am natural. I only work with naturals, but um, inevitably I encountered this on a daily basis. So I wanted to use uh, Mike's uh, brain as an opportunity to... Uh, discuss some of the less responsible ways I see uh, especially youngsters use them and then also give some context uh, into the types of situations where it might be appropriate to use them. Stick around to the end of the episode where I will give my usual takeaways and there I will also expand on this. What are the scenarios in which I would consider using them? So if you're interested in in hearing a, a very critical examination of um, some circumstances where you should consider using them uh, but mostly to hear about when not to use them and also hear about some of the positives but also the drawbacks and potential detrimental health consequences of using them then you will like this one so grab a drink sit back relax clean out your room whatever you like to do while listening to this podcast and now, without further rambling, here is episode 26 of the Master Engineer Podcast with Dr. Mike Israel. Dr. Mike Israel, finally, welcome to the Master Engineer Podcast. Thank you for having me, uh, Shotak. It's been a long time since we've chatted, so this is good. Yeah, it's, um, it's still surreal. You know, sometimes I, I still like scratch my head, like, is this real life? Like, really? You know, it's so funny because when you, when you listen to someone for like years and Sometimes you imagine like, you know, if I was in that interviewer's place, what would I ask? What would I say? Would I really embarrass myself? So I guess we'll find out today. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> so today we will cover everyone's favorite three-word topic, which is MRA. So Dr. Mike, how much should we train? Just kidding. <laughs> no, that's not it. We will talk about sex. Oh, jeez. That's not it either. Ah, damn it. What was it, Doc? All right, PED. Something you can take to alter your sex life and your MRV. Exactly. 
So we will talk about special sports supplement. We will talk about performance enhancing drugs. We will talk about the big S word, the steroids. So recently, um, you were on a podcast with uh, Omar Isov and Eric Helms and John Meadows. And that was a great discussion. So if uh, people have not listened to that yet, they should probably just go there and check that out first. And after they have done that, they can come back here and um, resume our conversation. And to kick things off um, and ensure that everyone is on an evil and level playing field, can you just briefly describe what uh, PEDs are in general? Because um, some people just think of them as steroids, and that's not exactly accurate. So performance-enhancing drugs, or another term is performance-enhancing substances, are anything that can alter your athletic performance or your physical appearance that uh, has drug-like effects. And in, in that sense, it is a messenger-slash-communicator-slash-trigger for biological activity rather than a direct substrate or energy source for it. So, for example, you can't call protein a performance-enhancing substance because you literally use protein, break it down into its amino acids. It's physically consumed and used to build structures and do other things. Protein doesn't so much trigger anything. I mean, it does, but everything it triggers uses the protein itself to keep going. Uh, so, you know, protein would be like, well, a train full of rocks or full of sand. Yes, when it enters a city, you know, people are sort of signaled by the train. It honks its horn and people know to go on, uh, unload it. But it is what the train is carrying that is important. And that is itself used. On the other hand, you could think of performance enhancing drugs or drugs in general as uh, just a pure signal almost. Like when you get an email that says, hey, you've won a million dollars. Hopefully it's not <laughs> spam, but let's say, you know, hey, like something good happened. You know, it's not like they physically the email brings whatever good happened to you, right? Like let's say it's like, hey, your purchase went through and you qualify for a car. Well, the email doesn't have a car, but it signals to you to begin certain actions that if this is in fact true, you can go collect your car later by altering your behavior, walking to the dealership and picking up your car so your car is ready. So in much the same way, performance enhancing substances and or drugs uh, are communicated by messenger action. So if you take a drug, you usually have to take very little of it. Like, you know, an email is just a little bit of information. And it doesn't so much give you anything. You don't physically consume the drug to build anything out of it or to break it down. What the drug does is it actually triggers your body to engage in certain processes more or less or engage them in different ways. So for example, eating protein can supply the raw materials for making more muscle um, and it can also, to some extent, trigger more muscle growth to occur under some limited circumstances. But something like drug, for example, like testosterone, if you administer testosterone in only very small amounts, it just tells the muscle cells, hey, for whatever protein you can find, start building more muscle with fat. So that's a performance-enhancing substance. So technically speaking, creatine uh, can kind of qualify, but mostly creatine itself has an actual function. But uh, something like caffeine definitely qualifies as a performance-enhancing substance, and it is, it is actually regulated by many governing bodies. And we go all the way from maybe creatine, definitely caffeine, all the way through a cascade of, of a huge range of substances and drugs. Uh, you know, there are probably main classes, but the main classes are stimulants slash acute performance enhancers. Uh, fat burners can be put into a similar category. There are uh, peptide hormones, insulin growth hormone, 
And another major class is anabolic and androgenic steroids. There are definitely other categories, uh, but those are probably the main ones you'll see used in sport and especially in physique and strength sport. Perfect. That was um, very nicely explained. And obviously the stuff that we were, inter- we were really interested in is the later categories. So everyone is familiar with creatine, probably everyone is familiar with caffeine since most people just drink coffee. But I don't think that um, many are fam- many of my listeners for sure are familiar with uh, um, the PEDs um, that were later mentioned, like the steroids and stuff. So um, I think we should uh, first uh, start with a uh, couple of scenarios or circumstances where it probably would not be ideal to take them because uh, obviously in the USA they are they are not legally allowed to u- to just liberally use their use is regulated and as far as I know it's the same here in Romania you can just walk into a a pharmacy and be like hey so I have this amount this much money how much testosterone can you give me like it doesn't work that way so to give you a personal uh, story um, so I started lifting in 2011 and, um, I remember I joined the gym with a friend and, uh, there were a couple of kids my age. So I was like 16 uh, and a bit, a couple of months. They were like, um, there were a couple of guys who were around my age and one of the, we started, you know how it goes. Like you start lifting together and you start getting into conversation, start becoming gym buddies. And they started uh, telling me that, look at that guy. He has been training for X amounts of months. And he has been training for, um, he has been uh, using, you know, these substances for, I don't know, six months. The other guy over there has been using them for a year. Look how big he is. Um, There was this guy who said, I just started using them like a couple of weeks ago. And why didn't you uh, give them a try? And um, thankfully, I was not, um, I was not an idiot. Or I was an idiot, but I was not that big of an idiot to just start popping them like candy. And I didn't have money, really. So I couldn't really afford them, so I wasn't tempted. But unfortunately, a lot of kids, um, especially, I think this is a consequence of social media and um, being exposed to these physiques and perhaps not having an idea of what went into it, both um, simply just training-wise, how many years have been training and what um, substances they have been taking. And it's very common to see guys, uh, or at least much more common than I would like it to be, uh, guys which uh, start training and within a couple of months be already on gear. So um, I would imagine that you have a very good, uh, you have some very good thoughts on this and a, a great perspective on this. So what would you say to someone who, right off the bat, is like, whatever, I'm just going to, you have only one life, YOLO, whatever. Let's just start popping some gear. Yeah, well, we can actually just address this immediately from the YOLO, I was going to say, logical operation. It's not much of a logical operation, but let us assume for a second that we can begin with YOLO. So YOLO stands for you only live once, right? And uh, people like to use that expression to justify um, uh, what normally would be categorized as a high level of risk-taking behavior and a high degree of impulsivity. I want to do this, I only live once, why not do it? But YOLO can easily be seen from a completely different perspective, it is just as valid. Because you only live once, you had better be careful about how you live, (laughs) because your life can end quite rapidly and sometimes even worse than end, deteriorate substantially until your quality of life is excessively low. And then because you only live once, you ruined the only chance you have. 
So the YOLO mentality is comically insufficient when it's used to justify risk-taking behavior. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you take both sides, the fact that YOLO means that you can take risks and sometimes that's justified, but also because YOLO means you had better be super careful because you have one life to live, they actually just cancel out. And you're left with the idea that, well, actually, yes, you do have one life to live, and that you need to sort of logically think through the degree of risk you want to expose yourself to because risk has distinct positives. In many situations, or all situations, it has distinct positives, and in all situations, it has distinct negatives. And you just have to trade the negatives and positives off. The other complication to this is there are different time horizons people think on, and a lot of people have very short time horizons. Teenagers have preposterously short time horizons, which means that they don't really think ahead too much. There's sort of a presumption that things will be okay in the end, slash they don't care about the end, or they don't even care about their 20s or 30s, you know, that I want to do what feels good now. So bringing that sort of framework back to choosing whether or not to use substances like steroids, uh, it becomes pretty clear that when you're a teenager, it's very difficult for you to have the proper mindset of even juggling trade-offs for the long term. But with that YOLO principle in mind, it's important to consider some of the downsides of anabolics because uh, that can illustrate to you how far off course your life and lifting can really take um, or can really be pushed if you misuse these substances or at some age if you even use them at all. So, you know, a lot of the downsides have been discussed, um, and a lot of them are overblown, but some of them are not. Um, one downside is that, uh, you know, and this is something that a lot of people miss, is once you do anabolics and then you stop them, your natural testosterone production is shut down completely, and it needs a long time to get restarted. During that time, you're going to lose a preposterous amount of muscle mass. You're going to feel terrible. You're going to have no sex drive. You're going to see a bunch of your gains wash away. You can become very methodical about this process and, to some extent, reduce these effects, but they're nonetheless going to hit you anyway. And the kind of people that are methodical about post-cycle therapy, which is what it's called, usually don't start early anyway because they're methodical and they don't jump into things. <laughs> so if people think that uh, using steroids is just as simple as taking some pills for a couple of months and then stopping the pills and voila, you're, everything's great and you're just more jacked, that is false. You become significantly less jacked and there's a whirlwind of emotional and psychological problems coming off of drugs that people don't think about when they start drugs a lot of times. Another downside is the psychology of taking drugs. Taking drugs at any dose to some extent makes you um, more anxious, sometimes to a large extent. It does not make your day-to-day -day life and minute-to-minute -minute psychological existence more pleasant. It makes it less pleasant for most people. Right? You always feel like you could be doing something else and could be somewhere else, and there's this general anxiety, and the more you take and the more your body transforms, the higher the anxiety is. It's not a very fun process. You can become short with people, short with yourself. You can become more aggressive. That is actually very common. Usually not aggressive enough to start getting into real trouble, but aggressive enough to start to really just get pissed off at traffic and get pissed that your training's not going well in the gym or somebody took your 25 kilo dumbbells. Um, it just makes for a really bad time. So it's best to look at anabolics as a very serious psychological investment, a cost, a burden 
that must be suffered through to get a certain particular reward. And then you can look at what that reward is. And this is where I think a really good conversation can be had is exactly what it is you want out of the gym. So you know, teenagers who start lifting weights, uh, they want to be leaner. They want to have a six pack and they want to have muscles that are visible, probably because they want to attract girls. Now, the first realization is that girls usually just don't give a shit about how you look as long as you're not grotesque looking or like morbidly thin. And even morbidly thin, there's a whole market for that sort of thing in the goth scene. But usually if you're not like unbelievably obese, girls just don't care about how you look, how you carry yourself and a variety of other characteristics come into play. So already, if you think steroids are going to make you, you know, the the talk of the town and help you attract females, you're probably mostly wrong. And there's some benefit there, but it's it's quite small. And then the next question is, how jacked and lean do you have to be to come to pretty close to peaking your attractiveness um, for the average female to be interested? For the average, like if you're trying to date an IFBB bikini pro, you know, yeah, you'll have to be 280 with abs or whatever, but most people aren't trying to date somebody like that. Most teenagers would think an IFBB bikini pro is like, jacked like a man or they wouldn't be attracted to her right so you know for the average girl how jacked do you need to be well you know if you weigh probably about 70 kilos and you have visible abdominals and some semblance of shoulders and biceps gee you're right there a lot of there's a lot of idolatry about brad pitt's physique in fight club i mean to a bodybuilder that is an emaciated sad sad man right most people after six months of training and a good diet can look like that. And the thing is, like, if you just want to be a fuckboy in the club, looking like that is the straightest ticket you'll ever get. Um, and as a matter of fact, uh, if you become significantly more muscular or more lean than that, you can start to intimidate quite a range of females. Um, I myself personally, a long time ago, uh, exited the normal stratosphere of what would be considered attractive to the typical female. And at this point, I actually have to conduct myself differently around any females so as to not be perceived as a threat, just like scary. We just look scary with it, which doesn't really help anybody, right? So already, you know, somebody could say, look, you could take these pills, they're going to take you through a psychological whirlwind, and then you're going to lose a bunch of muscle when you come off of them, never mind the bad health effects, which we can get into later. But if you just trained for like six months or a year and stuck to your diet, you would accomplish a physique that would just get you pretty much as far as you want to go with getting laid. And then the next question is, okay, I don't want to get laid. That's not what I want. I have a passion for getting as jacked as possible or really jacked. I don't care if it costs me pussy. I want to get huge. Well, now you're in a different world. You're in a world in which almost everyone can tell you that it's actually jacked, that it takes years and there are no shortcuts. And if you take a shortcut like anabolic steroids too soon, you cut yourself off later because you've used one of the best strategies in the game too early. You've milked it out for what it's worth and then it won't have an effect. And by the time that you wanna push it further and get real big, your health is gonna catch up to you. Your body's physical structures are gonna catch up to you. As a matter of fact, because anabolics grow probably everything and to some extent, uh, abdominal cavity size is related to the total volume of drug use you're doing at any time. By the time you get to the higher levels and you have to take a lot of drugs because you're used to the lower drugs, you're going to look more like shit. Have you ever heard the term palumboism by any chance, uh, Shatak? It's when you have like, and you take so much gear that your gut distends like an obscene amount relative to your limbs and just kind of look lean, but like shit. <laughs> 
So, you know, if you, yeah, bubble gut, exactly. So, and there's, there's worse versions of it than just a bubble, right? So, you know, you're really just setting yourself up for that if you start taking gear too soon. Most of the best professional bodybuilders were huge naturally. Uh, we're talking in the 220s, 230s with abs before they ever started taking drugs. So, uh, and, and then here's another thing, right? So if you really want to be big, you can be big, but you have to prove yourself naturally first to some pretty large extent. Here's what I mean. If you want to be enormous, put in three to five years of solid training and eating drug-free. If you're not much bigger by then, probably drugs just won't help you that much and you'll never be enormous. Good news, who gives a shit about how enormous you are? There's 50 trillion ways to find meaning and happiness through life and uh, 49.9999 trillion have nothing to do with being jacked. So you're totally good. But if you do train for multiple years and you become much more muscular, now you start to have a hint like, okay, like if I use drugs, I'd probably get somewhere pretty far. You know what I mean? It's like um, it's like signing up for aircraft mechanic school when you don't really know what a plane is and you've never worked on any mechanical parts like in a car. Like it just got kind of weird three weeks into the school. You'd be like, yeah, this sucks. I hate this and I'm not any good at it. You know, my, I was a great artist, but I quit that. Like, why the hell did I even do this? So I think a lot of drug-free training is just about being patient and thinking, okay, if anabolics are down the road for me, the only way they seem to work on the net balance is if they're down the road for me. Like, you know, if someone's taking anabolics and they just want to get laid, pretty much they don't need to, so they don't need to bother with all that crap. And if you're taking anabolics, if you say, but hold on, I don't want to get laid, I want to be a fucking god, you got to show some natural talent before you're ever going to be a god. To put this in perspective in the, the ultimate example, Kai Green turned pro in the Drug Federation of the IFBB completely drug-free at 215 pounds at 5'7 in contest shape. So if you think you're going to be Kai Green, because uh, on drugs, Kai Green is 275, right? But, you know, you, you know, if you're under 200 pounds at 5'10, you're probably not going to be Kai Green with every drug in the world. So, so there's kind of that perspective. Hopefully that makes sense. It's kind of like if you just want drugs to get the a very quick satisfaction of looking fucking just good and attracting the opposite sex, you don't need them. If you want drugs to take you the distance, you have to put in the natural work first to find out if it's even worth it and to set the baseline, the foundation for the drugs working even better and with fewer side effects when you're ready. Yeah, um, I have so many uh, things to say. Shoot them off, man. <laughs> as far as the women, um, so you probably know that I, I listen to a ton of Jordan Peterson mm -hmm. and uh, I've been thinking a, lo a lot because I've been single for a couple of months now after a pretty long relationship and I've been just kind of contemplating life and my existence <laughs> in a sense and my trajectory in life and uh, what I kind of concluded um, based upon listening to Jordan and just my own experience and talking with others is that women care uh, about uh, physique and money and such uh, indirectly in that they're not interested in the end result necessarily but they're interested in the traits that got you there so they're interested in seeing that you're ambitious that you're uh, consci conscientious that you're hardworking, uh, that you're disciplined that you're serious that you can commit to a goal and keep working at it and so on and so forth so they are 
because uh, we all know guys who like kind of inherit a ton of money and they become wealthy overnight and they just spend everything in a year or so and drugs or taking drugs is would be would be kind of the equivalent of that you get jacked overnight well quote-unquote overnight in a much shorter time frame than you would naturally but uh, you didn't really work for it and you didn't really uh, exhibit all those characteristics that natural would have um so that's one and the second part is absolutely true i mean um i was just um because you know how it is when you're in instagram you just you're very much so comparing yourself with the best of the best like if you I look at jared feather i'm kind of depressed for six hours just kidding but <laughs> a lot of people have that reaction to him or like i don't know uh, nathan williams if you've seen him on instagram nathan pt is, is his handle or any of those guys who just like met dust fitness with his insane chest, like sure. any of those guys who look like gods. And then I recently was just met a girl who I haven't seen in like years, and she was just shocked. Like for her, I think I was like a god. I mean, when I look at myself, like I'm some mad scrawny guy. <laughs> no, that's false. <laughs> yeah, but that just shows you how skewed my perspective is and how just a general. Uh, women's perspective is on what a jack guy is so for years for example i used to look up to when i was younger and i was fat i used to look at rafa nadal i'm sure you know who is the tennis player yes and uh, i thought that oh my goodness he's so jacked like he had this bice of veins and i would look at him like yeah he probably has like 35 centimeter 36 centimeter arms something like that i don't i'm trying to uh, uh, just envision the doll of someone jacked and it, it just doesn't there's no congruence with that in my mind. <laughs> I'm trying really hard, <laughs> but yeah, I guess if you're like you know not lean, especially, you could be like, wow, this is a, he's got a great physique. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Same with Cristiano Ronaldo or mm -hmm. someone like that. Or yeah, yeah, they are lean, but they are not muscular. Well, and... the thing is, girls think they have excellent physiques, and, and the thing is, if someone came to me, you know, as if I was coaching, and they said, hey, like you know, here's me with sort of average, below average genetics. How long is it going to take to if I fully commit to diet and training, no drugs? How long is it going to take for me to be a comparable physique to like Ronaldo? I'll be like, I don't know, like six months, maybe a year. <laughs> I wish people said that. They usually say, you know, how long did I look like Jared Feather? And I'm like, well, never really. But, you know, it, it's yeah. it's one of those things where it, it just goes back to, to show that point that if, you know, if you're doing it for the opposite sex, unless you're into specific folks in the opposite sex that are into muscles, then you had better be into them too. Uh, then you're on that long-term track, Right. Uh, unless you're into that, then yeah, it's just, you know, Justin Bieber is probably one of the most popular people in the male, um, gender with the female gender writ large. Justin Bieber, it, it doesn't have a body as far as I'm concerned. If he was just a stick on a head. He was a man head's cover though. There you go. Right. Just being like, Hey, here's an oral person, you know? Like, <laughs> so, you know, if Justin, if somebody comes to me and they're like, I want Justin Bieber's physique, I'd be like, pull up your shirt. They show me, I'm like congratulations here's your certificate you're already <laughs> justin bieber so it's one of those things where you know you know if a female says hey like i want uh to look like the following famous female person you know females have a lot of times have quite a bit more work ahead of them but for males it, it just it's not really i'll put it to you in a more technical sense the competition to become hyper muscular is almost exclusively an intrasex competition it is male male to the to the letter yes. it is is almost identical to the female competition in fashion uh, and customized or, or expensive accessories. Like, I don't know how many times you've ever looked at a girl passing down the street or in a mall, or you're like, oh, that girl's hot. 
I don't know how many times you ever thought like, oh, wow, her she's got a Gucci purse. Like, I don't even know what the fuck a Gucci purse looks like. Yeah. If you're like, oh, is that Gucci or is that Giorgio Armani? You'd be like, I, what? I barely know. Didn't Armani make, like, do they even make clothes? Do they make perfume? Who the hell knows? Nobody gives a shit. And a girl could be dressed in just, like, clothes that are literally from Walmart. But if she looks good, you'd be like, damn. And other girls yeah. would be like, oh, my God, she's like a fucking total skank and she's fucking dirt poor. And you're like, who cares? <laughs> Right, yeah, like yeah. nobody knows that, but uh, girls compete to an unbelievable extent. Uh, just, just among other girls, and guys compete among other guys. So, it's important to not to get those two things mixed up. So, if you're a guy and you endeavor to consider taking anabolics, and you think this is for girls, make sure you're actually taking it for girls. Because if you make sure of that, you'll probably talk yourself right out of taking them to begin with. Because any average girl can tell you, like, yeah, that no, I have no interest of. And also, well, here's the hilarious thing: if you start taking anabolics. There's a chance you're going to get uh, gyno, which is not attractive to anyone. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a chance you're going to get excessive pimples. And interestingly enough, excessive acne occurs way more often for teenagers that use, because their receptors are still very fresh to that, than adults who use. So, you know, all of us had acne as teenagers. Can you imagine the magnification of that with anabolics? I mean, it would just be a disaster. And if your face is covered with acne, and if you're fucking pissed all the time and barely know who you are because of the psychological moving waters of anabolics geez you're just not that attractive uh, at all and um that kind of makes the anabolics pretty much for the most part ruled out in most cases of trying to optimize sexual attraction right right and i think there is a big difference between um even if women find you attractive on in a photo I don't know if they would find the lifestyle associated with that attractive, like injecting yourself multiple times per week, uh, having to, let's say you, you are someone who tries to stay extremely lean just so you can take selfies all the time, like sure. being hyper-focused with your food and measuring everything and not going out to eat and you can only eat this. I mean, I mean there's a certain subpopulation that is attracted to that kind of stuff, but most are not. Just fitness industry people. And if you're interested in attracting other fitness industry people, cool but then you're on that other long-term track instead so the you know it's it's a very niche market at that point i completely agree with what you said um i was actually just uh, as a hypothetical was discussing this with abel us taking gear and um <laughs> you know it was just one of the thoughts experiments that hey i would be, really like my shoulders to be bigger than my chest but um i don't don't think i'm ready to commit to that uh or the, the, the necessary implications for that. However, I think there is a big, and I, I'm not sure what to do about this, there is a very deep human instinct or desire, whatever, to get things right now. There is, And yeah, this seems to be more pronounced, the younger people are like, um, I told this a lot of times, but back in 2011 when I started, it didn't even cross my mind that I'm not going to stick with this gym thing. Never, not once, like... I was just there, I was just lifting, and I was like, whatever, I'm just going to lift, and that's all. And now people come to the gym, they're like, so, you, and I ask them, so, you want a membership? Yeah, and you've been here last year, right? Right, and you were here uh, the year before that, right? Right, but this time I will be really serious. And the motherfucker, like, what? Last two years, what? Did you say that, oh, this time I'm not going to be serious, it's, this is just going to be a joke, right? like a one-month <laughs> experiment, like, what did you have in mind? I don't get it. So... Yes, it's true that you can get to that uh, appealing physique with three to five years of hard work, but most people like want results in three to five weeks. Um, even if you tell them that they are going to, it's going to take them five months, they are turned off. So 
um, I was just hearing a couple of days ago some guys were discussing that there is a guy who is jacked and he was uh, telling to one of his buddies that don't worry I got you the good stuff and you're great and he is just one of those guys who lifts but he's like nothing impressive at all like his form is pretty bad like he he doesn't even know how to set up on a bench press like the typical guy who has been training for a couple of years but doesn't really know uh, the technicalities of, of proper lifting and uh, that would be the second uh, most pronounced category of people who st- start taking steroids. Like, they don't know the basics. They don't know how to train. They don't know how to eat. They don't know how to recover. And as a shortcut, as a frustration, they resort to gear as a way out of. So they try to achieve a physique that's achievable naturally, but with drugs because they don't have the foundations in order. So what do you think about that kind of attitude? And what could we do about it to somehow... Um, convince people or get them to buy into the idea that this is going to take a lot of time and it's if they want something it's going to be a a lasting long time commitment well so the first thing i could say is getting lean doesn't take a lot of time uh a year of you know two to three major fat loss phases with the interspersed maintenance phases can take up to 20 percent of your body fat off of you if you have that much and getting lean is absolutely the most important part of looking muscular. Um, if you weigh, you know, 90 kilos, but you're high percent body fat, you can look 10 times less muscular than someone who weighs 65 kilos, but is shredded. Like it's not even close. So a lot of people who are looking for the quick fix, um, they should just look at getting lean and you don't need drugs to get lean, not even close. So, uh, so that's a, a good start. Like if someone says like, Hey man, I just want to look better. Like blah, blah. Like this, I, I want to take drugs. You could actually just talk them out of it by saying, Hey, look, look, let's, let's start you on a good diet and a good training plan and let's get some body fat off you and see what you look like. And if you don't like what you look like at the end, we can, you know, you know, discuss other options. And after three months and they have abs for the first time in their life and they're super happy about it, they're getting tons of attention for it. The idea of taking drugs it, kind of disappears because why the fuck would I do that? You know, like you could be like, Hey, you ready to inject a needle of oil in your ass? And they're like, fuck that. Like I have ab, you know, like basically like, how do you look like the average CrossFit person? Not even the average CrossFit competitor, but the average CrossFit person like has abs and some delts and they weigh, you know, 65, 75 kilos. And you know, like they're, they're, they're for the love and life and they don't take drugs. Most people just don't. And, and it's just a couple fat loss diets later and they look great. So and especially if you, you know, train with weights uh, during that time pretty hard. And even if you have a couple of years of weight training already under your belt and you're just frustrated, just getting lean is really, really like it's, that's what most people actually want slash need. Again, to reference Brad Pitt from Fight Club, you know, like, gee, you look like that in no time. And then you're kind of going to be like, why, you know, why did I ever want to take drugs, so on and so forth. But for the person that is just very impulsive, I think we have a couple of recourses. One is to inform them about the downsides of taking drugs. And there are numerous, numerous downsides. One, the gains tend to deteriorate quite rapidly when you're done. Two is uh, short-term health dangers. Um, Three is long-term health and psychological alterations. Another is short-term psychological alterations. Um, Another is sheer cost, although anabolics tend to be quite cheap, so it's not a big deal. Another one is some people just don't know what themselves getting themselves into. They'd be like, you, sh- you show them like a large gauge needle and you're like, this, you're going to have to stick this into yourself. And they're like, whoa, fuck that. 
right? And they're like, why can't I just take these pills? Like, yeah, but they're going to destroy your liver. And they're like, oh, shit. Well, right? And, and the purpose is to generate, uh, and you never want to deny the benefits of drugs because you're not like a crazy anti-drug campaigner. You're just a, ra a rational thinker. So you say, look, these drugs have distinct benefits, but they have these downsides too. So if you acknowledge their benefits, all of a sudden people are like, okay, this guy's not just lying to me. He's not propagandizing me. And you discuss the downsides. They're like, oh, geez, I didn't know all that. Because remember, the guy at the gym that's selling the drugs and says, got the good stuff, he's not telling people about downsides. That would decrease his customer base. So he's just saying, oh, it's going to get you jacked, this and that, blah, blah. But if you tell people, like, here's the positives, here's the negatives, a lot of people just right there will be like, yeah, you know what? I don't really want any of that. Um, and then for some people, there's a considerable intractability on their part, um, recalcitrance to use a funny word, to any kind of measured thought and their impulsivity is a pretty ingrained feature in their personality and it's very difficult to talk them out of anything. I've, when I was a coach back in the day, I had the unfortunate experience, although a very good experience from a learning perspective of coaching a few competitors and some recreational people who had this sort of impulsivity, sort of endemic to their nature. And they all started drugs years before I said it was a good idea. Um, most of them have since quit the sport and quit training altogether. And uh, they just could never truly tell you they were psychologically healthy. <laughs> um, so that kind of really intense impulsivity, um, I think you can address that at, at its root cause or its root symptomology where someone says, like, I just need this now. You can sort of kind of do the Jordan Peterson where you say, well, why do you think you need it now? And gee, at that point, you know, a Pandora's box of psychological demons opens up and at some point they might realize like, well, I don't need drugs. I need, I need to sit the fuck down and think about my life for a while. Yeah. But some people just won't do that. And I will, I will end my rant here with the following. You can tell people about the positives and the negatives. You can tell them about the trade-offs and about waiting for the right time. We can talk later about what the right time might be. And you can tell, ask people sort of incisive questions about why does they want things now as opposed to waiting some time and investing some effort and so on and so forth, why they're impulsive. But, um, and that's, that's going to be like a series of nets that's going to catch some fish. Some people get through all the nets and there's not much you can do to help them and they just kind of have to crash and burn. You can't save everyone and there's no magic pill, LOL, uh, to inoculate people against their own supreme idiocy and, and their own irrationality. Yeah, um, I don't want to go too deep off a tangent here because I don't really have the time, but I think it really comes back to uh, fundamental lack of meaning and honestly just a life that's just too good and too comfortable. I mean, I was just listening to a Gary Vee episode today and obviously he comes from Ukraine or Belarus. Belarus, I think, yes, something like that. So one of those, um, obviously you come from Russia and, <laughs> you know, when, when, you're, when you're living communism, you don't really have time to think about comparing yourself to others on Instagram. <laughs> But when you have a very comfortable life and everything is done, provided for you and your parents take care of you and you don't really have to worry about anything, then you kind of start thinking, oh, well, what what should I do with my life? Oh, well, I might as well just start taking some, some drugs and start hooking up with some girls on Tinder. <laughs> Because that seems like a meaningful thing to do. The thing is, you can hook up with girls on Tinder, and as long as you use proper sexual protection, you don't really pay a price in any large sense. 
if you use anabolics, you pay a price in a considerable sense, and the price sticks with you. Um, there's a pretty decent body of evidence now that suggests that uh, anabolic steroid use in a dose and duration fashion can cause some forms of neural degeneration that can reflect themselves in memory loss and uh, some other things. I mean, gee, you know, that's got a way on something. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, that's, that's a real serious thing. And, and of course, uh, anabolic steroids, to the extent that you use them, for how long you use them and the doses you use them and the seriousness of the compounds you use do take time off of the end of your life. They're life-shortening drugs. Um, the reason I didn't mention that earlier in the discussion of talking to these kinds of people is people who are in their 18 to 22 years of age, they just usually just, you can tell them all that stuff. And they just don't give a shit, right? But the not giving a shit is sometimes you can talk people out of it. Sometimes you can't. Um, I find that a lot of that is, is very highly genetic or sociocultural at a very deep level. It is difficult to change. When someone gets it into their head that they want something now, uh, it's a lot of times really tough to talk them out of it because you say, okay, but what about these negatives? And they're like, nah, I don't care. I mean, Shatak, what do you say to that? You say, okay, well, you should care. And they're like, okay, I've considered it, but I don't, still don't care. You're like, yeah, at some point, you know, like, most of us respect human liberty enough to say, fuck you, you know, drug away. And then a lot of these people will have these sort of adorable stories later when three years later they'll come back and say, I should have listened to you. I got into some trouble, got with my health, and, you know, I'm trying to come back natural now. And I just can't help but shake my head at these people. Be like, fuck you, dumb asshole. But, like, you know, maybe I should be more compassionate. Yeah, unfortunately, I struggle with this myself on a daily basis. And I think everyone struggles with it. Everybody's for everyone. There's not a single, it would be humanly irrational to not search for quicker alternatives, right? So the, the idea that people say, like, you know, stupid, like, over-the-hill conservatives will post shit on Facebook, like, these fucking young kids today just want the shortcut. Shut the fuck up. Human nature wants a shortcut because we, we evolved in an environment that was either time-constrained or resource-constrained, and we're trying to optimize resource inputs and time inputs, right? So if you, if you have a... Can you imagine... You developed a new packaging delivery system for the postal service, which saves them a shitload of money and time and energy. And they're like, nope, we're not going to implement it. You're like, why? Like, it's fucking young kids today. They just don't want to put in the work. You're like, what the hell is wrong with you? This is a solution to the problem. It's better. Right? So if there really was a pill that had no big downsides and had all these upsides, oh my God, of course you should take it, right? Like, there's there's a bunch of like, you know, if you if you like... Uh, can you imagine being like, I'm, I don't use my fitness pal. Be like, why? Because I track macros just by hand. Be like, okay, like you're an idiot. Be like, no, the, you're just in, from the Instagram generation. It's like, no, you're wrong. So there's nothing wrong with in every part of your life having a certain degree of impulsivity that at least lends you to consider, hmm, I could do this faster and better and easier. That's always good to keep that in the back of the mind, maybe even at the forefront. But that is just one of the considerations that if you have to outline this big circle of, okay, here are my logical operations I'm going to use to make a decision before I leave the circle, you put that impulsivity generator into the circle, but along with it, you have to put a, okay, what are the downsides? Okay, what are the upsides of taking longer and taking a more meticulous approach? Could I be wrong that the impulse is the right idea? Now, when you have all three of those things in the circle, you let them interact in your mind, you compare and contrast, you say, ooh, okay, on the one hand, I could do this really quick with drugs, but on the other hand, there's all these benefits and pretty much no downsides from just taking longer and paying attention to nutrition, blah, 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 and then that wins out. So the problem isn't that people are impulsive so much, is that those other two things, the long-term considerations 
and downsides are just never brought into the circle. They're just like, nah, I don't care. Like, okay, sweet. So you're just really not thinking. So I think it's totally cool to be tempted to be impulsive, but the only recourse to that isn't to try to just sort of grit your teeth and be like, stop being impulsive or change your fundamental nature to be less impulsive. It is to understand, okay, I, I sense impulsivity. I know that it could be a rational aspect of my calculations. Now let's bring in more longitudinal thinking, a little bit of wisdom, a little careful consideration of trade-offs, mix that together, you know, chart out the course, and then see where we go from there. And then all of a sudden you have a rational decision. Right, right. Um, I guess the best example I can give is I was just talking uh, these days with, with, with someone and she's basically trying to improve her, her diet and stuff and she's really enthusiastic and she was like okay so i'll just stop eating meat and i was like why <laughs> just to challenge myself i was like okay i appreciate that you're enthusiastic and you want to do something but how about you do and make a change that actually going to help you instead of removing probably the only source of protein you have in your diet right now like that's not likely to have a positive impact on your physique how about you start removing those um, I don't know, the, the chocolates that you have at midnight because you feel sad or whatever <laughs> you <Right>. do. <laughs> I posted about this on Instagram. I don't know if you've seen it, but um, there's a strand in, in my city that's uh, a bit worrying or not necessarily worrying because not really my... It's I mean, people do what they want, but it's a bit sad that there are um, many kids these days um, younger than me usually, around 19, 20, who have been training for, let's say, a year, two years at tops. And who started using early on and now they have a pretty good physique because obviously they're young and they also up their hormones by like 500% and now they have trainer in their bio and they train others and basically their only qualification and justification to train others is that their ability to pin a needle into their butts and the fact that they look good and honestly that's just I find that so in intellectually dishonest and I am very much so aware that they are probably not able to produce results with others because they don't really, I, I've seen it in person, they, they just, the only thing they know is, well I did this and it worked and when it didn't work I just upped the dose and that was it. <laughs> so how are you going to train someone who doesn't do that? So what do you think about uh, that approach and just as a general um take on this what do you think about someone who wants to hire a trainer for example and they aren't on peds i mean obviously if they deny it and they lie about it then that's a bigger issue but let's say they admitted that yeah i've been using how should you kind of um, conceptualize that in your head um when deciding if you should hire that guy or not, or girl. Oh, so, uh, so, the, so the trainer admits that he's been using PED. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. Well, so uh, when you're hiring a trainer, it's important to consider what your options are and then choose the best options that are, you know, their price to performance ratio is something that you find acceptable. So, um, you know, a lot of the options, sometimes you live in a small town and there's just one gym and there's five trainers. And let's say you're not internet savvy or don't have the proclivity to start training yourself off of an app or off of templates or off of YouTube and, and or off a, an online coach that sends you videos and stuff. And uh, then if you're just a face-to-face -face kind of person, then you got, there's your five people, right? So, but, you know, considering that online is an option, like, you know, if, if, if someone from Romania, just a, a regular person I happen to meet on a trip, 
So, you know, I live in Romania and uh, I really want a coach. I would just immediately send them to you uh, and just be like, well, here you go. Like problem solved, right? And they're like, well, he doesn't live in my town. Like you don't need him to live in your town. He's just going to send you programs and diets and going to interact with you on a digital basis and you're going to have all the help you need. And they're going to say, well, what about this, this trainer who lives in my town? I'll be like, you know, that guy's probably underqualified, right? Or we just don't know. Now, let's say you're not on the internet. You don't have the option of all these uh, experts such as yourself to lean on. Well, then, you know, you have to take stock of what you have in front of you. And as far as trainers are concerned, what you want is a person with a substantial amount of experience in getting results for people like you. For example, and this is a little bit of a mentality difference between some modern ways of thinking and some older ways of thinking, perhaps, or maybe it's just sports-specific. Sports-specific is probably more correct. In weightlifting, there are zero people in the sport of weightlifting, as far as I've ever seen, and I've been interacting with that sport for quite a long time, that look at the totals or the physique of their weightlifting coach and Hmm. judge them by it. None. You know who's a good weightlifting coach? That crippled-ass old man that sits at the side of the gym. That guy's probably produced like 10 Olympic champions, right? Because that's what all these guys look like. Why? Because he's a coach, and people know that. When people know that good weightlifters are 22 to 28 years old, they don't know anything. They just lift weights. And there's just not a culture in weightlifting of being coached by people who are athletes. Like, there's athletes, there's coaches. A lot of formal sports work that way. Tennis, uh, soccer, football, etc., basketball... You know, you know that the old people who've had a track record of really good things, they're the ones that coaches. For example, if you want to coach basketball at a collegiate level in the United States, and you just finished an NBA career, like as an athlete, and you were, you know, all-star, millionaire, and you wanted a job as a coach at an undergraduate institution in the United States for basketball, they, they would ask you, like, so what's your coaching experience? You'd be like, well, I've never coached before. They'd be like, oh, yeah, well, that's that's nice, but you should probably coach at middle school or high school for a while. You know, your middle school, they'll give you a job just because you're an NBA player. High school, they might. They might want some experience. But, uh, you know, as far as college, I mean, competitive D1 universities will never hire you if you're just a star because they don't give a shit. They want to see you were successful at developing athletes at other levels, right? So if you're hiring a coach at your local gym, uh, you know, you can look at their physique and that's nice, but you know, a lot of young men have really excellent physiques. A lot of young women do too. And, uh, what you want is someone who has a track record of getting people like you in shape, right? Shameless plug for RP. Um, but some of our best transformations our most popular ones are the ones that take people who are like, you know, look like sort of regular people and they don't make them look exotic. They just make them look much better. And a lot of people are like, wow, like that really resonates with me. That could be me. Like, I wonder what product and service did that because sometimes these supplement companies will take an IFBB pro bodybuilder, do a before and after. And you're like, yeah, but I don't want to be 280 with shredded glutes slash, you know, the supplement can help him. Like, is it even designed for me? I don't know. So with a trainer, First thing you want to look at is what's their track record. Maybe they say they have an Instagram or Facebook page. You go on there. You look at some before and afters. If they're just producing tons of before and afters of like, hey, here's a lawyer. Here's an accountant. Here's a firefighter. Now they look better. Now they look better. You're like, wow, okay, like this is someone who does uh, good work. Now, if it's one of these like drug-using fucking retards that you know has been training for a year, he's just not going to have that. It's going to be all pictures of himself. Some, it's just pictures of himself on there or herself and just pictures of her ass you know, maybe they don't know a whole lot. Remember, you can't give someone your genetics, so it's very difficult for them to make them look like you. They have to have a proven track record. Uh, That's a real good start. Another one 
is um, how long of experience they've had training. Uh, if it's been a year, then you could take a chance at them, but they had better be charging you very little money. If they've been training for two, three, four, five years, okay, then maybe along with some before and afters and stuff, you could take a look at it. Another one is, and this is super important, this will fall in mostly deaf ears, but I think it's incredibly valuable, is you don't need any fitness experience to gauge this. Meet with them and talk with them and ask them what a plan would look like, what the journey would look like. The person that you're going to hire, let's say you talk to 10 people, is, all of the things being equal, someone who is going to give you a realistic view, who is going to demand a good amount of work on your part, but not infinite amount of work, who is going to have a calm, rational, logical approach. They don't even have to be science-based. They have to say, now, we're going to give you a diet. We're going to try to work through your sticking points. And we're going to work hand-in-hand -hand together. We're going to go slowly, step-by-step, -step, and we're going to get better and better and better. And we're going to reevaluate to make sure that nothing we're doing is hurting you. Everything we're doing is helping. The plan fits your needs, and we're setting realistic goals and accomplishing them. Like, I'm almost doing the tone of voice because you expect something like that tone of voice. On the other hand, if someone's like, we're going to get you all amazing results and you're just going to be lean, and you know, that kind of person, it does not have seemingly via their verbal communication the kind of mentality you want for someone like, dare I say, a muscle engineer, <laughs> right? Somebody who is meticulous, who's careful, who is programmatic, right? But that's what really gets results. Can you imagine going to an auto mechanic we're like, hey, I think my car's broken. What do you kind of offer here? He's like, well, you know what we do is an inspection of your vehicle. We take a look at different component parts. We have a series of tests we run to make sure that we're ruling out the right stuff. And after that, we'll give you a bill uh, sample to say, if you want us to fix this, it's going to cost this much money. Um, versus a guy that's no problem. You just leave your car here overnight. I'll have it handled. No worries. And you're like, what about the price? Like, we'll talk about the price later. I'll just fix your car. You're like, yeah, I didn't think that doesn't seem to, as an adult, because you know, who mostly hires trainers? Adults. Right? People are in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and they've seen bullshit artists in other fields. You just have to apply the same thing. Unfortunately, with fitness, much like with politics, people stop thinking and they start feeling. So they see some guy with jacked abs in the gym and they're like, oh my God, is he a trainer? I want those abs. Like, geez, just reality doesn't work like that. So if you have someone that's got a really good track record of results, that's been coaching for a while, and that seems to approach things from a calm, meticulous, and compassionate manner, gee, you probably have a good coach. And if they have qualifications, if they've been to university for them, that's just extra special icing on top. But if you don't have a, a trainer that meets any of those former criteria, geez, you know, that's going to be real tough. So hopefully that's kind of instructive. Awesome. Um, excellent breakdown. And I'm sure, I'm sure you can empathize with this. Um, sometimes, like I, ha I worked through, I did a podcast with that Rezvan guy I mentioned, and I worked through some similar uh, criteria. And, you know, sometimes you have this uh, imposter syndrome, at least I do in my head, like, uh, like sometimes I'm thinking, like, am I just really justifying the fact that I am not that good looking? Like, you know, I try to not emphasize physique, like, yeah, you know, results matter better, uh, the most, and then um, personality and communication skills and knowledge and that kind of stuff, and physique should come, it's not unrelevant but it not, should not be the first and foremost criteria and sometimes i have this in my mind that am i just really trying to hide the fact that i'm not as good looking as some guys are but this was a good uh, reassurance i guess or re well to that point i think it's important to have as good of a physique as you can your physique is an ultimate illustration of your own knowledge to some extent it is an illustration of your body of work. It is an illustration of your lack of hypocrisy and the fact that you are committed. 
So whatever your physique is, you had better be living the fitness lifestyle because you're going to be asking your clients to live the lifestyle. First, that makes you a non-hypocrite. Second, living the lifestyle gives you an unbelievable insight into how things work in the real world and how to apply various strategies. If you've never been down to 1,500 calories yourself on an extreme cut, you just don't know what clients feel like when you ask them to do that. So a big rule in training is never ask your clients to do anything that you haven't done yourself. Right. right? right. So if, if you're training a client that runs marathons, but you've never run a marathon, you're making a big mistake. So to that extent, you should always be pushing your own personal fitness to its highest highs as a personal trainer. I mean, this is your life. So, which, you know, if you want to be a personal trainer, you had better be already doing that because you're supposed to be passionate about it, hypothetically, right? So now, do you always look the part, like, super lean? Of course not. Like, you're going to have the times when you're massing, when you don't look that great, but you're strong, so on and so forth. But there should be no mistaking you for a person that's just not involved in fitness whatsoever. Now, so, so you definitely should be putting in the work, doing the workouts, and looking pretty decent. But after you look pretty decent, you know, can always look better, and it's always better for your brand. That's great for you as a trainer, but... The advice I give to trainers and the advice I give to potential customers is not the same advice, right? A potential trainer is like, look as good as you can. A potential customer is, yeah, it's nice that they look good, but let's sit down and talk with them and see what else that's going on. Where is their track record, right? So build a track record. That's definitely more important than looking good. Let me ask you a question. Do you know who Chris Aceto is? Uh, yes, I heard of him. Chad Nichols, guys like that. Broderick Chavez. And these people have turned a ton of people pro and, uh, you know, they look okay. A lot of them are just old guys now. And some of them didn't ever look that great to begin with. Like Chris Aceto looked really good, but I, I don't even know if Chad Nichols ever competed in bodybuilding. And it's one of those things where like, well, why do people trust them? Because their track record's ridiculous, right? So if you have trained hundreds of clients and uh, you've got it all on your Facebook and Instagram, you just won't have a problem attracting people. As a matter of fact, you'll have to start either hiring new people to work for you or just just raising your rates like crazy because you won't be able to take on tons of people. Track record of success matters. And as soon as you get any clients, you do your best possible job with them. You can do totally, it's a good idea to look as good as you can, but how can you produce results? Because I'll tell you, there's tons of trainers out there that look amazing. They go through clients like crazy because none of their clients get results. And it ends up being just this huge mill where their great looks lead them to a ton of new clients but almost no one gets results. And as soon as these guys get older or get hurt, they don't look good anymore, their income stream is gone. If you have a really good reputation, if you coached a ton of people, if you get hurt, doesn't matter because now you have more time to write programs, uh, you probably get more money. <laughs> um, as a matter of fact, after every time she got injured in training, Dr. Jen Case from RP, as uh, a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu world champ, she would just make a, a, a much more money because she would just sit at home instead of going to train because she was to her and do programs, right? And then if you get older, you just have that much more wis you have that much more wisdom, that much more knowledge, that much more uh, results behind you, and it, it's all a good continuing process. So those guys, those trainers that have abs and use drugs um, to get them, they're very short-sighted in numerous ways, not just about their health, but also about their business model. Right. Like one thing I heard. Um... <laughs> Apparently, this practice in one of those gyms just it just makes my blood boil. Like, no kidding. Like, I have, I very much so I'm high on my personal integrity. Like, um, I don't know if you've seen it. Like, I even um, I wrote a post that my protein changed one of their ingredients. They changed the zinc and magnesium from citrate to oxide, and I essentially got 
of the team who oh wrote boy. Post because I wrote a post publicly and I apparently I wasn't supposed to say stuff like that. Okay. So yeah, I'm high on my own uh, integrity, but I heard yeah. that some people say or do things like, well, they uh, advertise low prices for personal training and once the client comes in and instead of one-to-one, there'll be like two or three or four people at the same hour. And of course they charge less to attract you, but at the same time you're praying for a one-to-one and then you end up being three or four to one. And you know, I'm sure you've Yikes. seen it. Like like a guy puts whatever, a girl on the leg press and turns around and goes to the other corner and the girl is already fucking up her leg press form and puts the guy on the whatever and turns the back to that guy too. And none of, the, none of them does the exercise correctly and it's just a waste of time. But hey, he gets three people in, in one hour, so good for him, right? For him for a while, and those three people get shitty results and they don't feel like they're being attended to. They make very few or much less references and referrals to other people at their work and in their life. And now a couple of months, a couple of years later, that person's still struggling for clients. Um, whereas if you do a real high quality job and really spend your time with one or two people or one per hour, then those people are so happy with the results and the way you take care of them that they start referring their friends and their relatives. And all of a sudden you're booked solid. Um, starting with a high quality, high caliber level of work is difficult because you don't make a lot of money at first, but eventually it builds and builds and builds until you're highly successful. Whereas the person who's trying to rip people off, much like taking drugs too soon, uh, there's never, it's never going to be a takeoff. And it's always going to be struggling to find the new Ponzi scheme to rip off clients this month. So as uh, I anticipated, we, we didn't get through all the topics uh, anywhere near. Um, if you have like three minutes, I have just one statement I would like to hear your take on. Sure. And this was by someone who wrote this on their Facebook. And from, based on the pictures, they probably only work with people who use stuff. And they said something to the effect of, um, here's a before and after, two years apart, and as you can tell, uh, the results are, are drastic, and um, this is the part that really kind of piqued my interest. They said something to the effect of, if two years from now, or two years apart, your physique doesn't look drastically different, you're doing something wrong. And obviously, this got me thinking, like, um, if you work with someone who uses uh, drugs, then okay, perhaps... But if you work with a natural, let's say, year 8 and year 10, there is a very small chance that you're going to look drastically different. <laughs> Marginally different, perhaps, but like drastically eh, seemed like an over-exaggeration. So I guess to extend this uh, question into more general uh, framework, what do you think about people who advertise their services and produce these drastic results but don't mention or forget to mention conveniently the special substances and kind of set up these expectations or say things like if your coach does not produce similar results then he's doing something wrong because they work with naturals for example yeah so i can think of at least one way in which that doesn't even apply to drug users if you take someone who's been using drugs for a while and has been training for 15 or 20 years and let's say they've been taking pretty high volumes of really advanced drugs if some person like that sees that before and after and comes to this guy and says, hey, contest prep coach, can you make me look drastically different? He's like, of course. He'll run you through the usual gamut. And uh, let's say you don't tell him how much gear you've been running before. Usually they ask and you can just lie and say it's a third. And he'll he'll double that number because he's a scumbag piece of shit but not an idiot. 
So he'll double the number of drugs you're taking, switch out some compounds to his own liking, change your diet a little bit. And all of a sudden, you're going to do your next show or next time you peak, and you're going to look either worse or just about the same, maybe a little bit better. And you're going to say, hey, look, why don't I look drastically different? And then he could say, you know, not everyone gets those kinds of results. And then you can ask him, uh, so, so should I get a new coach like you advertised initially, right? And, you know, I'm sure he'd just stop responding to emails at that point or say, you know, it's just marketing. It's just marketing results not guaranteed. Um, but then you could say later tell him, like, hey, I actually took way more drugs than you had me do. He's like, well, why did you lie to me? And you could say, well, I thought I thought you knew what you were doing. We didn't need crazy doses to take me this far. If it was all just about taking more drugs, I thought I would have thought that was not really rocket science, right? And uh, the sad reality is a mm, huge number of uh, these coaches online, especially that work with drug people and competitors, they're people that just, just tell them what you used to take and they multiply it by some number, usually 1.3 to 2.0, sometimes higher. And they alter some drugs here and there to optimize, and they push you longer, harder in a diet or in a mass phase, and then you look much better. It comes at a pretty big cost, and then once your health has deteriorated to the point where you can't compete anymore or train or you're really sick, uh, they don't so much care about you because nobody gives a shit at that point, right? Um, and you can't just blame them because you had been using drugs for a long time before. Um, let me ask you a question. Who was Dallas McCarver's coach when he died? You don't know. No, I don't know. Um, I think maybe it was Matt Jansen or maybe it was Chad Nichols. I'm not even sure at this point. Shotak, isn't that sort of important? You know, if we were really, I mean, didn't that guy sort of kill him? Like, you think, well, partly yes, but also accidents happen. Glycemic control can get off on insulin, and sometimes people just have heart attacks from long-term use or really shitty genetics. And, you know, these guys had only coached him recently. He had been taking drugs and, and lifting heavy for years and years before, so who's really responsible? And the answer is it, it's, it's very unclear. So it comes back down to this, that folks that make such advertisements um, are not being truthful whatsoever, um, and they're not considering vast scenarios like being drug-free, like being on drugs, but for a long time and being diligent about it, which just are not um, uh, sort of explained or not in this category of like, oh, you're, if you're not getting crazy results, you're, something's doing wrong with your coach. But the thing is, they're targeting a certain market with these sorts of advertisements. The market that they're targeting is people that are frustrated with the general degree of contest preparation or appearance, they see this crazy transformation and they think, oh, fuck, that could be me. And, and, and they read the text and they're like, wow, I guess that is me because my coach hasn't helped me in a long time. And then they join with this guy and, you know, I know a lot of the tricks here. As soon as they join up, you say, okay, well, here's how much shit you have to take. Here's how many drugs you have to take. And they're going to go, oh my God, that's crazy. And they're going to say, well, listen, what do you think these people at the pro ranks take? This is just what it takes. And all of a sudden, you know, denying the fraternity of of, of muscle brotherhood here if you're going to let them down and you're just you're just uh, try, trying to put your head in the sand and pretend the world's not the way it is and they offer you this guide through this you know sort of valley of death of excessive drug use but you'll be safe with them right um, and and it's sort, sort of bullshit all the way down the line and and I would say that that's really scummy tactics I, I will say um, a lot of people don't do this if you follow somebody like Shelby Starnes he's a really re excellent contest prep coach he never says stuff like that. Shelby just literally just posts results from his competitors that are shredded beyond belief. And he says, here's, what's her name? Here's Tina, 13 weeks out. 
And then you message him and you're like, can I look like Tina? And he'd be like, I don't know, but I can try my best. And you're like, okay. And you just sign up with him. <laughs> like, so it, it, and he gets tons of clients. So he's turned more people pro than I can count. So it's one of those things that, uh, you, like, like you said earlier, integrity is a huge thing. If you want to last and if you want to sleep at night, you don't lie to people and you don't make fast exaggerations. Right, right. And Shabby is a great example. Uh, I'm constantly sharing some of his uh, posts, uh, you know, some of his insights and experiences. And you can tell that he has a ton of experiences. And um, very much so I can relate to many of those things. Um, and yeah, he's the, he's the kind of guy I would look up to. Someone who obviously has done the... Uh, has walked the walk, but also oh, yeah. has has a valid um, track record, and uh, has some wisdom and insights and years and years of training experience. So yeah, hundred percent. Awesome. Thank you very much. Um, I just want to end this with a conclusion, I guess. So um, I think listeners will at this point have a very good overview, and probably have figured out for themselves that this is a very complicated topic. Is not just something that it's not a decision to take lightly no. by any stretch of the imagination. And years ago, uh, even though I never um, contemplated taking them, uh, I don't know, it was either you or Brian Cron who said to me that you don't want to be the guy who takes drugs and doesn't look like the guy who takes drugs. Oh, I said that for sure. (laughs) So yeah, that was a fantastic advice. Thank you very much. And really, like that's the saddest thing. I mean, I see guys constantly who take drugs and they don't look better than me, who I consider myself very much an average guy. They don't look better than many naturals. I mean, the least you should do is you, if you actually um, risk your long-term health, is to actually uh, have some resource that kind of differentiate you from the uh, general gym core, I guess. So yeah, you should look like some sort of different species. Right. Uh, drugs are an exotic, they're an exotic intervention meant for achieving exotic goals. If your goals are not exotic, you probably don't need an exotic intervention. Absolutely. That's a great way to end it. Mike, I won't go through the usual uh, where to find you because I'm sure people will already people be familiar know. with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just Google my name. Yeah, just Google his name. Um, go to his seminars. Uh, I really look forward to talking to you again. I really look forward to meeting you in person sometime soon. And thanks again for this awesome chat. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay, so that was episode 26 of the Muscle Engineer Podcast with Dr. Mike Israel. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you find it valuable and you were able to learn something from it. Now, as usual, we will end the episode with uh, some of my takeaways especially considering how important this episode is, in my opinion. Like we discussed in the episode, the choice of taking a substance that completely alters your physiology, your hormones, your mood, your brain, just everything. It's not something that should be taken lightly. So um, First, I want to start with what I consider to be pretty much the only reason why you should ever take steroids. From a rational point of view, if you subjectively think that you should use them, then whatever, go ahead. I mean, each of us does whatever they they think is best. But from a rational point of view, the only reason I would ever consider using them would be if I was a high-level bodybuilder who has already had a ton of success in the natural realm, and I seriously think that I have a chance of achieving something great in the IFBB. 
Like that's the only reason why I would ever use them. Like just to give you an example, we, we mentioned Jared Feather. Jared is an FBA natural pro. He looks fucking fantastic. He has amazing muscle bellies and just a great physique. And I don't think it's a secret because he uh, talks about this publicly on his Instagram. He recently transitioned and just competed in his first NPC show, which obviously is not drug tested. So if you are someone like Jared, if you have amazing genetics, if you're smart, if you have been training for like at least 7, 8, 10 years, you have already reached 95% plus of your natural potential and you think that one, you have a chance of actually achieving something in the other federation, but also you think that the health um, consequences are worth the trade-off, then uh, by all means go ahead and start using them. But aside from that, I see zero need to take them ever within the context of a young guy. Because that's mainly what we focused on. That's obviously my demographic and age uh, bracket I can relate to the most. So I will stick to that. Obviously, if you are 45, 50 years old, then we talk about a very different uh, circumstance with TRT. And I do plan on touching on that in an upcoming episode. But for now... Uh, let's limit our discussion to, let's say, uh, guys who are 18 to 25 years old, for example. So in that situation, I see absolutely no need to use them. Uh, like we discussed in the episode, you can build a fantastic physique naturally if you invest three to five years of proper training, proper dieting. You can achieve a ton just to use myself as a personal example, I mean, God knows I am not the best looking guy ever, I'm not the most muscular, but, uh, you know, if I walk into a gym and if I'm decently lean, you know, everyone looks at me and thinks, yeah, that guy definitely lifts, you can see. And realistically, if you don't make a living off of it, which most people don't, that's about as much as you need. I mean, uh, we mentioned women in the episode, women are so... Um, individual, if you take 10 women, for example, and show them a photo, five of them will find that particular photo attractive, five probably won't. And that's just the way it works. So I think taking steroids to attract women is stupid in so many ways, but simply using your physique to get women is also, (laughs) in a sense, stupid, because there are many women who are attracted to skinny guys. There are many women who are attracted to guys with uh, bellies or dead bods, just in the same way that some women prefer guys with beards some prefer we prefer them without so yeah i don't see any any need to use them outside of that particular context i mentioned these probably won't be a very well uh, delineated takeaways it's just going to be one major takeaway but the thing that scares me the most is well there are two things one is the mood swings that mike mentioned i myself i'm already a person who has somewhat of a short temper i tend to get irritated rather quickly i get annoyed by what i perceive to be stupidity around me very quickly uh, i tend to lose my temper somewhat quickly so that gets exaggerated and gets worse when i'm dieting and i'm tired and i'm hungry so i can only imagine what i uh, would react like if i started using 
uh, steroids. So that's not the scenario I would like to be in. And the second uh, health risk that particularly worries me is the potential brain alterations that might happen. So you essentially get a bit dumber or more stupid. I think it's the term if you start using steroids. And once again, that's not something I would like to experience because I like to think of myself as a person who makes a living off of his brain, not necessarily his body. So I wouldn't like to trade off a part of my intelligence or critical thinking or just thinking in general (laughs) in order to enhance my physique. I don't think that's worthy trade-off. So those are two big reasons why I will probably not take them anytime soon. And just to end with the third conclusion that is somewhat distinct and different from these two is that... um, circumstance or scenario I brought up with Mike of having to choose a coach and uh, I personally and this might be controversial but it's just my opinion I think that if you are natural and if you don't have any exotic goals like Mike mentioned and you have the option of choosing from multiple coaches in multiple gyms then I would not hire someone who is enhanced because for me there is always that doubt in my mind that Did he get the results he has because of his drug usage or because of his knowledge? Now, if they are a coach who only uses drugs for himself, that's great. But I have known many coaches like that. And in a very high percentage of cases, you know, they trickle down some to their clients too. So that's not something I would like to worry myself with. So I would just choose a coach who is natural And I would look at their track record and see the results they have produced and so on and so forth. And then choose from there. So this is my uh, take on that particular manner. And um, I am obviously open to discussions. Let me know if you think different. Let me know if you agree. Please message me with any feedback, concerns, questions you might have. And once again, this is just a reminder that if you haven't already, please check out my Instagram page. I post there quite frequently. I started doing some Instagram live videos. You can suggest uh, topics that you would like me to cover and I will take them into consideration. And if time allows, I will try to get to them. So thank you very much for listening once again. This has been episode 26 of the Master Engineering Podcast. I have been and still am Sotak and Ray. <laughs> and until next week, take care.